0: Chapter 21 of Countdown by Kurt Becker, S.J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Teresa. 5. Much to Ned's surprise, Owen never brought up the latest run in with Robson. Owen was at home, but he was too excited about the town meeting to worry about where Ned had been or what he'd done. He was on the phone busily calling everybody he knew and urging them to be present. Ned gathered that all the sons were doing the same thing and even while he pictured the whole town busily at the phone, he heard a sound truck pass along the street, exhorting everybody in a loud mechanical voice to be present. It was clear that the sons of the vigilantes were the moving force behind the affair. Owen stopped calling, and then the phone started ringing as people called him. Ned sensed the tension in his uncle, and he knew it would be the same all over Hillstown. The town was on edge. Something big and exciting was brewing. He felt that a fuse was burning and rapidly approaching a keg of gunpowder. It made him feel strangely uneasy. Supper was a terrible strain. Owen kept getting up to answer the phone. Once or twice the doorbell rang, and Owen stepped out onto the porch and talked in excited tones. Once Kingsley called. Ned heard the sudden change in his uncle's voice, the respectful, almost oily sound Owen made when he spoke to Kingsley. He came back to the table and glared at Ned, but said nothing, merely asking Deborah brusquely to hurry with the coffee, as he had important things to do. For a while, Ned thought he might go. Then the phone rang for him. It was Miss Deeb, sounding quite abnormally excited. "'I have a message from Mike for you, Ned,' she told him breathlessly. "'He said for you to stay away from this meeting.' "'He gave any reason why?' Ned wanted to know. "'No, he didn't. He was in such a hurry over the phone, but he did say he thought it would be very dangerous for you. He said to tell you to get over to All Saints and hear it over the radio. That would be the safest thing.' He said I had to tell you because you aren't allowed to talk to him. Ned, I'm scared. Mike sounded terribly excited, and I couldn't get anything out of him except that it had something to do with Baldwin. Thanks, Amanda, he said quietly. Don't worry, I'll do just what you told me. He hung up and stood for a moment by the phone, wondering. The sense of impending danger was strong in him. I'm going to church, he announced in a loud voice. Be back later. Before Owen and Deborah could say anything, he was out in the street and running. The streets were surprisingly crowded. Little knots of men and women seemed to be everywhere, talking and gesticulating. An unusually large number of cars were in the streets. Tension was in the air. A town meeting, Ned thought, was really generating excitement. And then he stopped short, hearing the word spaceship. For a moment he thought he'd imagined it, and then he realized, as he watched and listened, that the secret was out. Hillstown knew, now, What really was going on in the strange, mysterious regions beyond the fence. Walter was at the rectory, so was Amanda Deeb and the policeman Jerry Welch, who wore a faintly troubled frown. To Ned's delight, Father Carson was also there, looking expectant and not a bit worried. He welcomed Ned with a firm handclasp and a wise smile. I have a message for you from Andy. He said to tell you countdown is next week, and the invitation still goes. Nancy said to tell you amen to that. "'Steve said, don't forget to whistle.' He stopped and changed the subject. "'I suppose you all know each other. Mike seems busy keeping down the size of the rally.' He looked around at them and smiled. "'Sit down, children. We have a long wait. Might as well be comfortable.' Jerry Welch kept rubbing his hands together, as if continually washing them, and his face kept looking more and more anxious. "'Relax, Jerry,' the priest said. "'You're jumpier than a toad.' "'I don't like it, father.' the officer replied, "'I don't like it at all. Kingsley's got every hothead in town on that platform, and he's got the regular cops scattered all over town. Something's brewing, something nasty. He—well, he's not normal. I wish Father Bolton hadn't gone.' "'Don't worry about Father Bolton,' Father Carson said crisply. "'He can take care of himself. Besides, Mike's with him, and we have a number of cool-headed people on the platform, too,' he grinned. "'Friend Kingsley's in for a surprise.' What do you mean? It is a serious tactical blunder to underestimate the adversary. It's also a mistake to overestimate your own strength. Old Forrest Sherlock, being, as you say, not normal, has made both mistakes, I think. He paused. For one thing, there are a large number of people in this town who can't stand the sons of the vigilantes because of the way they've gone around insulting everybody. For another, there are many decent men in this town who regard the people you call hotheads as simply crackpots. "'Mike and I and Father Bolton have been very busy all day rounding up these fine people and urging them to attend the town meeting. I imagine the disciples will be outnumbered five to one. They make a lot of noise, but there aren't too many of them, thanks be to God.' He looked at the policeman with a smile. "'I think we've more or less pulled the rug out from under them.' Father Carson refused to amplify, so they chatted about other things until it was time to tune in on the meeting, The first speaker was the mayor, who welcomed everybody in round, florid phrases and congratulated them on their devotion to their civic duty. He reminded them that this was a public meeting, and said he expected them to behave, in accordance with their firm democratic convictions about the right of free speech and free expression of opinion. He presented one by one the various distinguished personages on the platform, and then he got down to business, and declared that the meeting was open. The first speaker was a man who needed no introduction his distinguished fellow-citizen and good friend the temporary chief of police force sherlock kingsley there was an expectant hush punctuated by a few coughs and then kingsley launched into an impassioned oration he was interested only in the peace and tranquillity of the community to which end he had dedicated all his energies in a double trust He expected soon to be able to announce the solution of the baffling and brutal crime which had made it incumbent upon him to assume the burdens of the heroic wounded man whom they all loved and respected, Mr. Drew. But there was something vastly more important. There was a terrible threat hanging over them all. He paused dramatically. "'Here it comes,' Father Carson chuckled. "'Wait till he finds out we've spilled the beans.' "'In the best compound,' continued Kingsley, in portentous tones,' Instead of the relatively harmless research in silicates which they had all been led to believe was taking place, there was rising a monstrous engine whose existence threatened all their lives, not only because the engine itself was a hazard to the lives of everything for hundreds of miles, but because it represented a vicious and blasphemous effort to defy the eternal law of the Lord. They were building a spaceship. He stopped again, expecting apparently consternation and pandemonium, instead there was a faint murmur of surprise disappointment and incredulity the shocking news had fallen flat kingsley swallowed audibly at the unexpected turn of events then drew a deep breath and went on the lord he cried in solemn tones has taken pity on us his children and sowed the skies above our heads with twinkling beauty which may serve to raise our earth-bound thoughts to him in wonder and ingratitude. gratitude but it is not his purpose that we poor humans debased and totally depraved as we are to reach out with blasphemous fingers and solely the splendour of his handiwork this spaceship is a blasphemy which we must not tolerate we must destroy it we must take our courage in our hands and overwhelm the hideous thing blotting it out drowning it if need be in torrents of blood for a moment there was silence as the meaning of what he said sank in and then there were loud cries of protest mr mayor mike's powerful voice came clearly to the microphone "'Mr. Mayor, I have a couple of questions, please.' "'Excellent. Step up to the microphone, Mr. Pukin.' "'The Mayor's voice had a note of grimness in it. "'I am sure that as a teacher of science in our high school, "'your questions will shed great light on this affair.' "'Thank you.' "'Mike's voice sounded a trifle, breathless, "'but it was strong and self-assured. "'I'd like to ask Mr. Kingsley a couple of questions, please.' "'Certainly,' Kingsley replied unctuously. "'You said that we were all children of the Lord.' Mike said, and while I might differ with you on the phrasing, I certainly agree with the idea. Kingsley laughed politely. Now I'd like to ask you two questions, if I may. One, since men are children of the Lord, and are made with the same care as the rest of his handiwork, how can we be sullying his handiwork by touching it? And secondly, if you're totally depraved, as you just said we all were, how can you in all honesty accept the job of enforcing the law? He paused to let that sink in personally i don't think the mayor or these nice people here or even you sir are totally depraved with that pandemonium broke loose there was laughter then there were angry shouts and a babble of voices clamoring to be heard and a vast confusion which gradually subsided as the mayor called for order kingsley tried again but it wasn't any use there had never someone pointed out been the slightest sound of trouble or the noise of explosions or anything even remotely resembling what they all knew took place at the rocket launchings in Cape Canaveral. The meeting went on, growing duller and duller as it progressed, until it dribbled away to nothing. "'Good old Mike,' Father Carson gloated. "'Good old Father Bolton. I can just see them working up that bit about total depravity.' "'How about the other things?' Miss Deeb asked. "'No problem, Amanda. The whole universe belongs to God. We'll never go anywhere. He doesn't want us to go.' All this stuff about intelligent life in other worlds is sure conjecture. If there is life, he put it there. If there is intelligence, he gave it. If there is life, and there is intelligence, there isn't much problem either. If either fell the way Adam did, or it passed the test and is unstained and unstainable, Christ is the firstborn of creatures, and his merits are infinite. He's the king of the whole of creation. So you see, no matter how you look at it, Kingsley's wrong." and there really is a spaceship? Walter asked wide-eyed. Ned saw it. He was in it, actually, weren't you? I was, Ned agreed, and I'm puzzled by a lot of things. The priest smiled. Why don't you ask Mike about them tomorrow? He knows as much about it as anybody. In fact, Baldwin told me that it was a thesis Mike wrote on gyroscopics, which gave him the idea for the whole ship. Now you'd better go. It'll be safe, I think, and I have a lot of work to do. They said their nights and walked out. Walter could hardly restrain his impatience. As they walked towards Ned's house, Ned described the ship to his friend and told him about Andy and Nancy. When he had finished, Walt looked wistful. "'Do you think I could ever get to go on a trip like that?' he asked, with my lag. "'Sure, Walt,' Ned said encouragingly. "'Sure you can. You just wait. We'll both go.' They stopped and with one accord threw their heads back and stared at the wonder of the late spring sky. We'll both make it. I'm sure we'll make it End of chapter twenty one